Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show. I'm your host Dave Homewood and today we've got a guest, Dave Starr, who was a top dressing pilot. Welcome Dave. Yeah, welcome Dave. It's good to be here. Good. Um, take me back to the very beginning of your aviation interest and career. Well, I suppose you could say that it, right from a childhood, uh, being brought up at the on the end of the runway at, at Ardmore, um, the aerodrome was built, started building, I think it was in 1942, so I don't remember much about that because I was only about two years old. Right. But uh, sort of having aircraft, but I had never any idea that I'd actually ever fly one myself. Right. That right. came later. Yeah. Yeah. And over the over the period of time, I left school at the age of fifteen and worked for my father on the farm at Ardmore. And I think it was in 1960 we bought a front end loader, and uh, I talked to the chap that was doing the organising for the top racing with the DC3 out of out of Ardmore at the time, and said, "Listen, we bought a front end loader." If your front end loader breaks down, we've got one here that if you know if you could if you want it. Yep. About three days later, he came rushing over and said the loader's broken down. Would you come over? So I did, and I kind of got interested in it. And then they said, "How would you like a part-time job, loader driving?" Okay. Uh, and I said, "Well, I'm still working on the farm." And they said, "Well, can you work it in together? We just want somebody else at Ardmore, you know, when the DC3 is." So that was the start of it. And it went on, and then two years later, which would have been 1962, I decided I'd had enough of farming, so I got myself a job with a local contractor. Now, this particular contractor got well known in the aviation world later on with his wing walking antics with the uh, Tiger Moth, and that was Tony Renoff. All oh, right. So anyway, uh, I got a job with Tony, but I wasn't supposed to start till about the September, you know, the new the new season. Yeah. And I was going to carry on on the farm. And anyway, came March, uh, the, the driver on the DC-3 left. And they were looking for somebody. And I said, well, how would you like me to fill in until September? And it was Jack Humphreys who uh, was flying it then. And he said, oh, he said, that would be wonderful. So anyway, I, did, I went and did from, from the March on. And after the first trip away, which was only a month, and I came back and said to Tony, Tony, I said, um, do you mind if I don't come and work for you? <laughs> and he said, "Will you be a fool to come and work for me?" He said, "Stay where you are." Oh, right. So that was it. And then I got a, sort of an interest in the flying, and um, took me quite a while to get my license. But uh, I had a job I loved, and I didn't really want to get rid of that. And then in 1969, I was got, got trained up for top racing and went uh, top racing at uh, Walkworth, okay. and that's where I still am. Okay, right. And, so I'll just take you back a bit. Um, what are your earliest memories of Ardmore during the war, growing up, that sort of thing? Aircraft coming off because where we where the, where the house was situated was actually right on the when they were taking off on runway two one they went right past the house uh, and and at fairly low level and we remember that Harvards were the worst of the lot for making the, the dishes rattle on the on the uh, you know on the table yeah but uh, there was one incident I remember I'd been outside out in the paddock watching them you know coming in and out and I'd just gone in in a, inside. And an Avenger went landed with with a um, drogue wire still attached, and it actually rattled through the f two fences, 
flicked over two power lines and went rattling through the, the next fence where I'd been standing. So uh, that's quite a thing and I can still remember that. And I wasn't very old at the time, but it's one of those things. Wow, okay. Was that just by complete accident he'd forgotten it was still attached? Or? No, they, every so often they couldn't release them and they would land them, but they were, they were supposed to come in a bit higher, but uh, this one came in a bit low. <laughs> <laughs> wow, wow. Okay, so you were uh, on Hamlin Road, Road End, weren't you? On Hamlin Road End, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you must have... Uh, sort of had Corsairs and Kitty Hawks and everything going over all the time, were you? We did have. And of all the all the years there and and since, there's only ever been one in the ended up in the front paddock. Is that right? And that was a Corsair that ran out of um, ran out of fuel at, at Seagrove and just didn't quite make it back to the aerodrome. But at the same that that, that squadron and um, my cousin Brian Cox was actually in that in that squadron too and he'd landed. And somebody said, um, you know, after he'd pulled up, they said, "Oh, did you see the accident?" And he said, "Yeah." He said, "The one up, uh, the one in the paddock." He said, "No, the one on the upside down on the runway, which happened at the same time." <laughs> Gosh, it's amazing. Uh, well, as you know, my father grew up uh, at Ardmore as well during the war, but they were at the other gate. They were opposite the other gate yes, um, on, yep. on Airfield Road. That's and, right. And um, Dad and Nana and my uncle have told many stories of. Corsairs that ran through the fence there, they had several come into their paddocks. They had, yes, there was quite a few on that end and quite a few on the other end, but uh, we never had it on, on, on our end. Well, it's quite lucky, really. Yeah, because it was quite, it went. quite a disruption to the having to fix fences and that sort of thing, wouldn't it? Exactly, yes. Yeah. I did see in one of your uh, photos of Ardmore, and it was you're talking about the hangars and um, administration building. Yep. Yeah, and you're talking about those are the ones that were in the middle where the control tower is now? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, well that, um, when I first joined the Auckland Aero Club, that's where we, where the Auckland Aero Club was, was in one end of that, that particular building. Oh, right, okay. Uh, the control tower used to be on the other side of, uh, on the southern side of um, 03221. Yeah. And that was shifted after, um, uh, well, it would have been in the early 60s when it was shifted over to, you know, where it is now. Right. But but over the years those three hangars have gone. Okay. Yep. Yep. Yeah, they were there for quite a long time, but it's only probably only over the last say twenty years that they've they've disappeared. Right. And there used to be a lot of hangars there that have gone now, isn't there? The, of the wartime ones. Um, it's only like, the three, as far as I. There okay. could have been there could have been a few more on the on the other end down where the, um, well where the warbirds area where they where they are now. Um, I think there are still three there. I think there was. There could have been more. I can't remember exactly. Right. Yeah. right. But there were there were barracks and everything down there too, because that's where the School of Engineering used to operate out of. Right. You right. Know, after the war. Yep. Yep. That's right. And the teaching college was. Uh, and the college, they 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 took all the rest of the you know the uh, the main barracks. Yeah. Yep. And I guess you would have remembered you you would have seen all the Formula One stuff uh, yep. happening in Formula One races. And that's an interesting uh, one too, with uh, when Ken Wharton was killed. Um, we heard it on the uh, BBC News, and yet we lived right next door. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dad used to talk about how um, back in those days you could just walk up and talk to the drivers and uh, wander around the aircraft, uh, wander around the cars. Yes. Uh, in, in what they called, what now they call the paddock, which is where all the cars are. Uh, 
prepared, that sort of thing. Well, in those days, it just was a paddock, and people people could just walk up and. Yep, exactly. Yeah, yep, uh, yep. He, he met um, uh, Timmy Mayer, who was uh, Bruce McLaren's uh, driving partner. Oh yes, yep. and and um, Timmy let him sit in the in the Formula yep, One but, car, and, yep. and he's got some photographs and that sort of thing, and uh, yeah, just fascinating. It, it is, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. The whole, you know, I went for a drive around there the other day, and you know, look at the old the old uh, Beardrome, and look at where we used to live and what have you, and the whole place, you know, everything's changed. There's nothing nothing like it, but you try to think now, there was something there, now what the heck was it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah. at least it's still there, unlike most of our uh, wartime airfields that have been destroyed. Exactly, so. yeah, yeah. And it's such a historic place when you think about it, with not just the Air Force connection, but the Formula One track and everything yeah, else. Yeah. It's, it's a real historic place, isn't it? Well, well, it? well, it is, and it was sort of probably because of Mangary closing with, uh, you know, with the international airport going in, if that hadn't happened, it may have been a totally different story. Yes. Because uh, between the war and the time, um, you know, the Aero Club went out, the, there was only, uh, oh, the Gliding Club actually operated out of there, uh, but that was about all, and then there was, well, then the DC-3 started operating, you know, every, you know, every so often. Right. Um, but other than that, there was very, very little. But once the Aero Club got there, that's when things really started to move. That's a really good point because uh, when you think about it, with the encroachment of houses, the, I mean, the, the city has spread so much. Oh, it has. If it hadn't been for the Aero Club going there, we may have even lost the airfield. It could have done. Oh, it would have, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's been enough pretty problems even now with people uh, uh, moaning, and my, my view is if you come and live there, you put up with what's there. Yeah. <laughs> so that's my attitude. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and so... Um, Let's get back onto the uh, the top dressing. What what are your sort of favourite stories and and um, memories of, of top dressing days, particularly well, with the DC threes and that? Well, with the, with the DC threes, I suppose that uh, probably with the first one was the first time first flight I ever had, and that was with an old AZL, right? Uh, with with Jack Humphreys, and that was my first ever flight. And even then, I never ever thought that I would, um, you know, ever get to, to load it. Well, no, well, I was loading it at that stage. Yeah. Uh, get the kid to fly it, or, or, or even um, fly for a living, even at that stage. But, um, so that was probably that would be my, one of my first real good memories of it. Okay. Um, but then there are a lot of things that have happened over the years with the different pilots and um, yeah, what have you. Uh, I don't know. It was just something I did think about the other day uh, on Saturday when I was going down to Wakatani going past the Matatar pub and there was just a little little one of these little things you think of it was about 11 o'clock in the morning where the pub had just opened and there was the ops manager's car from the ops manager from Tarong his car yeah. a friend of his was driving my car I pulled up with the old Thornycroft loader uh, somebody else came in from uh, I, don't, I think it was the local carrier from Mount Maunganui had had that the front end loader on it, and there was another chap come down with with a fuel tanker. So the five of us all pulled up at the bitty Matata pub, and then the aeroplane went over, and he he was most brassed off. And when we got to Waikatani, thinking that here we were all having a beer, and he couldn't even have one. <laughs> and I, I'm pretty sure I think that was Jack Humphreys at that time. Right. Okay, yeah. Okay. yeah. Uh, I guess uh, some of these um, pilots that you were loading for must have been real characters. Some of them were. Um, there, there is a story about one the pilot that I loaded for most, and I, 
Well, I mean, unfortunately, he's no longer with us, so he can't uh, tell me off for telling the story. But there was um, a story about him when he was flying Tiger Moths for uh, a firm called Aircraft Services. And they actually, he and another pilot called Chas Chambers, uh, were working on a property out at Donny Faro, which is across the river from, from Turkau. And evidently they finished the, the job this Saturday afternoon, so they decided that they would actually drop in at the Turkau pub. So they landed the tiger moths in the paddock, went in, six o'clock gong went, they were told, you know, they had to get out. Yeah. Chas Chambers looked at the driver, who actually had a, had a private licence, Looked at the driver and he says, well, he said, you're too bitty pissed to drive. He says, you take the Tiger, I'll take the, take the loader. Yeah. And the loader had a caravan behind it as well. Well, he got home, he and Bill Peterson got home all right in the Tigers. But anyway, the driver, or the other pilot, or Chas and the, and the loader, I only found out about this a few years ago. He got stopped by a bitty cop. But the cops couldn't pull him up because there was so much traffic because it was race day at Pukekohe. So they had to wait until a certain point. When they did stop, they opened the door and he fell out. <laughs> so what the driver was like, we do not know. <laughs> but if you tried to do that today, you would be, you'd be locked up. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, absolutely. yeah. Now, you mentioned the caravan. Did you guys sort of stay away and, and, and travel from farm to farm, that sort of thing? In the early days, that was before my time on it. They, um, yes, they did. They used to have a caravan and they put a caravan on the on the airstrip and they would stay there until. Well, unless the weather got really bad, and then they'd go home. Uh, but they'd stay there till the job was done, and then they'd move to the next job. Okay, must have been quite a commitment then for the for the loaders and the pilots. Oh, it was. And that was in those days. It was seven days a week, and you didn't. Uh, and that was it. You didn't get a Sunday off like we did later on. Yeah. 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 Okay. And I suppose some of those pilots must have um, flown in World War Two as well. Must Most been. of those early ones did. Yeah. Um, there was one pilot was on the DC-3 for, for a little while and unfortunately uh, he was killed in a beaver in Australia, Jerry Oman, and he was one of the first, I think, I believe, post-war trained pilots to, to go ag flying. Right. That, that as far as I know, I'm, but he was, um, he, he was with Field Air and he was on the beavers with Field Air and then went on to the DC-3 for a little while. Okay. So where did you learn to fly? I learned to fly at the Auckland Aero Club at, at Ardmore. Yeah. Um, and interestingly enough, I, uh, on Saturday I met up with the first instructor I ever had. And it's the only time his name actually features in my logbook. And it's Bruce Chapman. Oh, right. And uh, it was quite interesting just meeting up with him again. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He, he and Brian Galt was my second one, and that's the only time his name features in there too. Oh, right, right. Because he's still around up in Auckland. He's still right? around, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they both still got licences too. Yeah. 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 Okay. Not like me. <laughs> <laughs> so when you first uh, went to top dressing, uh, flying, um, what was your first aircraft? Did you go straight onto the Dakota? Or? No, I, uh, I, I, the only time I'll, I'll get onto that part of it later, but yep. um, no, I started off, I did my training in Rotorua with Bob Scott on a 260 horsepower Fletcher. Then uh, when I went to walk with, I was on the 300. Uh, until about, I think it was 74, uh, I got the 400, I got, I got the first 400 for James in the north, and um, yeah, I think I only flew a 300 horsepower Fletcher about twice after that, so it was from then on it was always the 400. Okay. But as far as the DC-3 is concerned, uh, I was probably a little bit unique, I was probably one of the, the only pilot with a private license to hold a DC-3 rating. Mm -hmm. and, and uh, 
in, in New Zealand anyway. Uh, but that was only for about a month, and then I, then I did get in the commercial. But uh, because of that, when uh, Reg Plane lost his licence, because he was the backup pilot for, for the DC-3, for James, uh, I got that job, and I, I didn't do. I only did about two hundred odd hours total. Yeah. Um, actual um, in the DC three. Legally, I won't say how much I did, uh, which I couldn't log. <laughs> uh, but but I, I did the, the backup on on the DC three. Okay. Um, when when James got AZA, uh, which was the last DC three, Les Marshall was to to get that, but. He hadn't quite finished his rating at the time that it came out, so I did the first month with it in Rotorua. And then, uh, it was at 74, was the last time I flipped, I flew on a DC-3, which was AZL up in Kaikoui. Okay. Yeah. okay. So, tell me about actually flying them. What were they like to fly as a top dresser? I actually loved them. I would have, I would have loved a, a permanent job on the, on the DC-3, but uh, unfortunately, with, with the James setup, you're away from home, home a lot. Um, the last year I was loader driving was my first year of married life, yep. and it worked out I was away from home for six months of that first twelve months. Wow! Um, not all in one hit, but yeah, you know, but that was the way it worked out. So, yeah, I knew what it was like, and it was a bit too hard on when you've got a young family. So that's why I didn't go on. You know, if it had been a field air situation where they were quite a few of them were based in one one place most of the year. Wouldn't have been quite so bad, but but I preferred it to the Fletcher, to tell you the truth. Um, you had to think a lot beforehand uh, before you did did things or things started happening to you yep. uh, that shouldn't. Um, you, you had to keep your mind well ahead of, of where you where you were at, probably a bit more so than you did with the Fletcher. But uh, they were a beautiful aeroplane to fly. Must have been quite an exciting thrill to be able to fly something that big so close to the ground and, and in hill country, that sort of thing. Well, exactly. It used to give some people, um, you know, some quite uh, quite thrills on the ground. There is a, a thing that happened back in the, uh, my early days and we were... I can't remember. I think it might have been Jack Humphreys again. Uh, he was doing a, a... I don't know whether people remember, but there used to be a petrol station at Ramarama uh, or around that area on the on the Great South Road was the last pump at City Prices. Yeah. Well, he was top racing the farm adjacent to that, and he said he followed this. He saw this bus going down heading south, and he was heading south, you know, sailing that way. And he said uh, he went past it, of course. And when he turned at the end, he came back and he said the bus was still going all over the road. <laughs> now I think people sort of didn't expect to see a big aeroplane, you know, an aeroplane that big going past them at Nord Feet type of thing. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> what sort of load were you carrying in them? We were carrying five tonnes. Um, there is, uh, they did actually cut it back to 4.6 years later. It was actually after the, or around about the time of the fatal in Blenheim. Um, five tonne was actually a bit over what it, what it should have, we should have done. But when Ozzy did his calculations, you know, in the first place, he worked it out at the old, um, Air Force weights, which was thirty-one thousand pound, all up. Whereas we were knocked back to twenty-nine thousand. So that's where he worked out his, his uh, figures for, um, you know, for the five ton. So we were actually we we were a bit over the over the weight. Okay. Uh, we did we did have an episode during my early days of um, one George Arkley who was with uh, Civil Aviation 
uh, hearing that what we were doing and he came along and checked us out one day and we knew he was coming so we actually got all our figures and everything right <laughs> and he, he asked me if it was a lot of bullshit that I was only but I was telling him that we started off at a certain weight and built it up as the fuel went down and I said oh hell no but, but when he worked out all the figures he said oh he said you're only about, about that much overweight he said that's, that's no problem he didn't realise that we were, we, were, we were carrying the five tonne anyway. <laughs> so how, how, um, how much would you spread in a day? If you're carrying five tonnes, how many times would you load in a day and that sort of thing? Well, I think the record for, I, I don't know about the field air boys, but um, for the James boys, and that was, uh, we were actually two pilots this particular time where they, they shared the flying. Um, you know, I, I think it was... Could have been, would have, would have been Jack Priest and Jack Humphreys, yeah. and I believe that their their record was 320 ton of, of lime off Rukahai, and that was on the Rukahai swamp. Wow! Um, and that was in a fairly short day too. It wasn't a, wasn't a long day, but it was very quick. They were only about five minute sort of turnaround type thing. Yeah. Um, the the most that Bill Peterson and I did, I think, was 260. We did one in one day out of Ardmore. Even that's a hell of a lot. That was a lot, and that was. Uh, that was all fairly short haul stuff around the thing, but uh, about the last forty odd ton was out on the uh, motor tap or Waiheke or something like that. So that was about a twenty minute, twenty minute turnaround. Okay. Mm. How, how often would you have to refuel in a day then? Uh, every every two hours. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. we kept the, that, there was a thing we ne you never filled the tanks up. You kept the, uh, the the fuel level down to keep the weight down. Right. Okay. But you, but you had enough for two hours normally. Okay. Yeah. Just amazing. <laughs> yeah. And then and then. Do it depended on the engine. Um, most times you'd, you'd top up the oil after probably, well, it could be four hours, could be six hours, and that was four gallons a time. Right, right. Now, I believe that um, AZL and possibly some of the other uh, James aircraft had little mini mokes in the back, is that right? Yeah, we had, um, we started off with, or James started off with AZL with a Fiat, Fiat Bambina. Right. Um, and then yeah, quite a few of the others did then I found that actually could get a mini in it and um, it was actually after my time on, drive, on uh, driving that um, they went to the uh, went to the mini okay the mini was a little you could get it around you had to perhaps lift the back around a wee bit more than you did with the, with the Fiat but, but they fitted in and it was a wee bit more comfort on the road too yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess that would have been removed before um, any flight would yep and, yeah. and, and you, you just use it for just to get, well, well, I mean, if we were staying away, of course, you know, you used it to go to your, your accommodation and all that sort of thing. Right. Yeah, right. yeah. It's quite ingenious, isn't it, really? It was, actually. We, when, when we first started, we had a, we had two, two uh, I think, two or two bloody planks that we used to put out with a with an old, um, you know, carpenter's trestle type thing under the middle of it to stop it sagging too far. <laughs> but they were a bit dangerous, so they, they were inclined to bloody move. But then we got a um, local engineer in Papakura did a... Uh, uh, made up a, um, a, a proper f uh, ramps for them, and they were they were quite light. They were well, I mean, when I say they were light, they were not quite as heavy as the timber ones, yeah. but they were actually done and they were uh, sort of pinned into the into the door frame right. uh, or the sill, and uh, down and you know we never ever had a had a problem with them okay. because with the planks you were inclined to slide off them too. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so. Um, in your career, uh, whether it was with the Dakotas or, or flying the Fletchers, mm. that sort of thing, 
Did you ever have any sort of really close goes? Did you strike any wires or things like that, birds? Uh, touch wood, and I'll touch my head. <laughs> uh, no, I never, I never actually went through any wires or hit any wires, but I came damn close, you know, several times. Yeah. Um, and if anybody said they'd never got a fright, well, they're liars, because I think the best thing you can ever do is to have a, I'm not saying have an accident, but have an incident that shakes you up and it gives you um, a little bit of a feeling of just watch yourself. Yeah. And that actually happened to me. I, I had my first accident ten, uh, six months after I started, and I did a perfect landing ten feet off the ground. It's the old last ten feet with a problem, and I did a very, very short landing. Right. I left, left one undercarriage lead down the strip a bit and bloody uh, near ripped the other one off, whatever. But it actually learned, and I'll tell you what, that, what caused that accident, I never ever did again. So it gives you a little bit of a wake-up call, yeah. and uh, as long as you don't hurt yourself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And the other, well, as far as bending the aircraft concerned, um, uh, I had one force landing where I threw a conrod in the engine. And I didn't in the paddock. I put it down, and I put it down exactly where I wanted it to, but didn't realise it was a dirty, dirty gully in the middle of it and a big dead tree, oh. which which I hit. Um, I was very lucky that the tree didn't come through the through the uh, cockpit, but uh, I, you know I got out of that all right. And, and then a fortnight later, fell off a stool in my bloody garage and bloody cracked my ribs. So oh. it shows you that <laughs> aeroplanes are quite safe. <laughs> and the and the other two, you know. Dip, uh, with damages, one from, I should never have worked off a, a strip was far too slippery, you know, and it started sliding sideways. And I tried to kick it round, and you know, and then and I was going to open the throttle and try and come back up the strip again, but it went too far sideways, and I went off the strip sideways and through a fence. So that was I'd never left the ground when that happened. Right. And the other one was I had my son driving for me, and I hadn't told him something that he shouldn't do, which he did, and unfortunately, I, we we became entangled a wee bit. Oh. Uh, yeah. And that was a few few thousand dollars, but <laughs> so really that was the, my, the only times I actually really bent in you know, a bent aeroplane. Okay. Now, when you were flying the Dakotas uh, and you were doing people's farms, um, would you take the farmer up so that he can guide you around his farm, that sort of thing? Or well, that was sort of the normal normal thing. Yeah. Um, we did have a real good system at Ardmore. Uh, with um, we had a very good ops manager who really pushed the you know the DC3 work and uh, he was probably the one well I mean it happened in a lot of other places as well after that but he used to get uh, he'd go out to the farm or he'd get them to send in the map and uh, he reckoned he was the windiest gamest um, person in the company because he hated flying yeah but he'd, he'd go up and he'd show the pilot where it is or just give the pilot the map uh, we did do one at Mount Maunganui one time when they had a uh, uh, the radio in the in the office, and uh, one briefing was given given over the telephone and radio, but uh, that didn't that didn't happen that often. No. But of course nowadays with, with GPS and things, it would have made it so much easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, was there sort of um, more difficult land and then easy land that sort of thing? Like, is there certain farms that you didn't like doing? There, there were the odd one or two. Yes, yeah, but you had to. You had to you know, plan that a little bit differently to what you would perhaps normally do it. Yeah. But it, well, that was sort of a thing from going from, say, the, from a Fletcher to the, to the DC-3 was uh, you had to plan your, you know, the, the way you attacked the job a lot differently than you, you know, with the DC-3 than you would have with a, with a Fletcher. Sometimes it was a damn sight easier. Uh, but you just had to make, 
you know, suit the, the, the aircraft and the job, really. So how did you go through that planning? Was it just looking at maps and aerial photos, or did you walk over the land? Or no, most of the time it was just a sort of a map, and then then flying over and you know and observing it really. Right. Yeah. So you fly a little bit higher and yeah. get, get, get a lay of the land, and then exactly work out which way you'll fly it and that sort of thing. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. 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 Oh, right. Mm. Yeah. It's um. It's a fascinating topic that I never really knew a lot about until the forum came along and people started to talk about top dressing and. Particularly Fletchers, we, you know, there's a few Fletcher yeah. fans on there, and I'd never really given it much thought. I see them fly over here all the time, yeah. Um, and and uh, I've learnt a lot in the last couple of years, and it's it's really interesting talking to these. Well, but it's quite interesting because I've only just sort of got into that forum, you know, over the, the last couple of months or so. Yeah. But just going going through it, and there's some interesting comments, and some people, you know, damn well know what they're talking about, and others sort of are either learning or have got their own ideas. Yeah. Um, but but I think it's fantastic, really, because it. Um, it is sort of uh, well, it gives people a, an idea, or more of an idea, like yourself, of yeah. what what's gone on over the years. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, and that's in every area of aviation. I mean, there's it is. there's a lot of stuff that I don't know about. There's probably a lot of stuff that you don't know about exactly. in, in aviation, and and everybody is there yeah. uh, exchanging ideas and memories and thoughts exactly. and photos and that sort of thing. It's great, isn't it? It is. It is. Yeah, and I think this one now with with AZL being done up, well, you know, and uh, Put under cover is uh, is really good because you know when I went down the day when they had that uh, uh, the launching of the the appeal and what have you that uh, I was so really proud to be part of it and yeah. and uh, see what they were doing. Absolutely, yeah, Because yeah. yeah. every time I looked at that airplane, I went to Mystery Creek. I just cried. Yeah, you know? yeah. Oh, just every time you look at it, it got worse and worse. Too, it did. It did. It's so good that this has all come together to um, to restore yeah. it and put it in a proper building and it's going yep. to have nice displays and all that sort of thing. Exactly. It's, just, it's going to be a proper museum piece now instead of... There was one thing that came out in the forum, somebody asked about how many single pilot, you know, uh, pilots were that flew the DC-3, yep. you know, single-handed. Yep. And it was when I did that list first and then there was a few others and Graham Mills, of course, has got involved with it now. Uh, and he and I are actually going through a whole lot of things at the moment with... Right. Um, uh, with the different pilots, and he's he's actually emailing a lot of them, the ones that are still around, to get, just get some comments. Right. He, he's he's already had a big one from from Les Marshall, um, and then I've, I've actually been trying to ch um, track down a few others, and I got a, a um, an email the other day from from Jack Priest about Jack Humphreys, and unfortunately, poor Jack's only had a stroke, and he's not very well at all at the moment. Right. And I haven't seen him for a long time. Right. Uh, but there are a few others, but we're trying to get a, a whole lot of a series of things. And hopefully tomorrow I might call in and see one of the, one of the original drivers. Oh, like great. Too, so uh, oh, see whether he's got any stories that he can, you know, come up with or have a little bit more information about the different pilots. Yeah. Well, it's great that this has all been collected now, all, this, all these yeah. memories and that. Because we don't see, well, we've only got two DC-3s flying in New Zealand now. And exactly. None of them are going to be dumping dung on farms. No. So. <laughs> and, exactly. And, you know, it's, it's a uniquely, or almost uniquely New Zealand thing, isn't it? Well, it is. It is, really. Uh, I, I know in um, Iceland, there's, there's actually still a DC-3 doing uh, top dressing over there. Doing so some sort of it, but I don't, it's not quite the, quite like what we're doing here, I don't think, by right. the sound of it. But right. the, but yeah, I mean, it's, it is such a New Zealand thing. It was developed yep. here, and then, it is. then the single engine, uh, single pilot uh, Dakota was developed here, yep. and all that yep. sort of thing. So yep. it's 
it's great that you guys are getting this uh, together and, and uh, exactly recording it all. See, even with, with the Lodestars too, they, they were uh, they changed over the years because the first one I actually went up with Bruce Thompson um, and a Lodestar or BJM, yeah. and it actually had the hopper all on one side, so that you could actually walk up from the back door right up past the hopper up to the up to the cockpit. And they they were actually when well, when he was up at, he came up to Ardmore to help out one time and we had a problem with I think it might have been with old BYF um, and he uh, and I went up with him but he had two two pilots on it there uh, at that stage but then and then they went to the different hopper thing and then they they used to have to get up through a, a hatch underneath to, to get into the into the cockpit from what I can remember gather right. I never actually went up in one of those but uh, but they they. They were, they were changes that they even made to them. Right, right. Yeah. So if the hopper was on one side of the aircraft and you could walk up the other, did, did you have to, would you have had to have continually changed the trim as it oh, it's, out? Well, I don't know, but I guess you would have. Yeah. Yeah. I know, I know it was nicknamed Lopside Annie. <laughs> 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 yeah. uh, so, um, you know, I've been inside AZL as it is now, but the, the hopper's not in it. The hopper's not in it, no. So back then you couldn't go in the back door and no. up to the front? I, I did see one person get up there, but he was, that was a five-year-old, Bridge Plains son. <laughs> Went up past it one time, but the, no, he couldn't. The Originally, uh, we got up with a with a with uh, an extension ladder up into the the escape hatch just in, forward of the of the engine. Oh, yeah. but, but, but every time you wanted to get in and out, you had to shut that engine down. Uh, and the being an extension ladder, you could you could pull it up into the, you know, into the airplane. But it right. sort of you had there was a bit of a knack with that too. But then later on, um, we went to that the escape hatch out onto the wing, and then walked down the wing, and then just that little short ladder off the trailing edge. Right. But that uh, that could be a little bit dangerous, and it's sort of a I watched the bitty ice pilots boys and how the way they get off, and they just slide off. But <laughs> we never we never attempted that. But uh, we we actually had a rope that we used to put on just to you know help us up and down. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah we just had to clip it and put it throw it in and then the aeroplane when you took off. Yeah. yeah. And did the um, I mean you were you were flying the DC threes right into the nineteen seventies. Yeah, seventy four was like yeah. Were were they still fairly reliable with their engines that sort of thing then or were you? Yeah, they were they were pretty good. Yeah. Okay, you still you had the uh, well, it's like with any any aircraft engine, you know, you had your you had your times. Yeah. We had uh, not long after I started, we had well, actually, when I started full time, we actually did that just did an engine change and uh, on run up and um, we won't say who or what happened, but unfortunately, one of the engineers stuffed up the other one, and they had to have, have do another engine change, but they, James had no. Oh no, it was Airland then. They didn't have any spare engines, so they actually got one off um, off Spans. Oh. It was an Australian overhaul engine. Well, it, but he clanked and banged and crashed and what have you. And uh, we blew a cylinder on the way from Whanganui to Tangiwai one day. Blew a cylinder off it. Yeah. At 160 hours running on it, which was uh, not not good. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, they, the engineers wanted to change it, and Jack said, "No, no, we'll we'll keep it going, but I'll check the check the oil filters every ten hour, every few hours." And it did, and we and we always reckoned that that uh, when that engine stopped clanking and banging would be the day it blew up. We were wrong. It made one almighty bang. Uh, I think it was uh, it would have been 
Yeah, no, it was, was still Jack Humphreys. And he was taking off for Dardmore about on, on 2-5, turned right and was heading back over towards Clevedon. He, he might, I think he might have been heading, heading for the Coromandels. And I, I was getting back onto the loader and I heard this almighty bang. And the next thing I looked and I saw the aeroplane's nose heading to, you know, heading down. Uh-oh, that's a problem. Anyway, he, came, you know, he got rid of the load and he actually, quite interestingly, he got rid of it on Tony Runoff's property. <laughs> Tony was very happy about that. But anyway, uh, when, they, when they checked it, it actually had broken the master rod. And that's why it made that almighty bear. And that was it had actually only done 400 hours. Wow. Yeah. So there was something not quite right with that engine, but <laughs> <laughs> maybe. But, but that, that was only you know, one of you know, most of the others were other more simple things. That, well, when I say simple, um, yeah, they they could be remedied, but yeah, they they were pretty reliable. Yeah. That sounds like a good thing that Spans got rid of that engine because if that had happened with a load of passengers, it exactly, been good, would it? No. <laughs> Um, working for uh, Aussie James, uh, James Aviation, mm -hmm. did you sort of get to know him very well? Oh, very well. Very well. No, Aussie was, he was, if, if you did your job properly and whatever, you you never had a problem with him. He was, uh, I always found him very, you know, very good to get on with. Yeah. Uh, I had a little, little story about Aussie was, uh, it's quite a few years ago now, when, when I was on the uh, executive of the uh, NZ AAA. And uh, the, uh, Prince Philip was out here, you know, the old Duke of Edinburgh, and of course he's he is a uh, a life member of the of the AIA, so we were invited. All the life members were invited along with the uh, you know the executive at a do at the uh, uh, Wellington Club, and there was one little thing that I'll go back on a wee bit about about the Duke. He was he was introduced to everybody in the room. And there were four of us, and we were all ag people in one group. And he went right round, you know, being introduced, he went right round, and he made a beeline straight back to us. And Tom Riddell, our executive officer, he wasn't very happy about this, and he came over to, to uh, you know, haul him away, but there was no way was he going. Yeah. He just took one, and he said, you boys look like you enjoy a drink. He said, I thought I'd better come back and talk to you. <laughs> but anyway, that night we had a, after the Duke had gone, we had dinner, and actually had finished up, I was sitting with Ozzy. And we were having a yarn about you know the old days and what have you, and, and I mentioned about my, me having the rating on the DC3 of the private license. Yeah. I never knew about that. He said. And I said, No, no, we kept it quiet, didn't we? He <laughs> said, Yes, you did. <laughs> How did you get it? I said, You don't want to know, do you? And he said, No. <laughs> no, he he was he was good. He was good. Yeah. But. Um, but you had to do a fair job. He, he was a very innovative guy, wasn't he? Very, Always yeah. uh, yeah. looking to the next thing. And yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of them didn't work, probably, you know. But uh, no, he did. He, he never, he never stood still. No, no, no. I met yeah. him uh, oh, maybe ten years ago, and he yeah. was well into his, you know, old age, and, and he was yeah. still on the go then. Oh yes. Really yeah. Good guy. Yeah. He actually, uh, we were in Hamilton one day and we were getting the loader, the old Thornycroft loader, back, you know, ready to operate out of there. And he said to the uh, pilot, he said, uh, I think it was Jack Humphreys, and he said, you've been working today, Jack? And Jack said, yes. He said, how many tons have you signed? He said, none. And I said, I thought you said you'd been working. And he said, yes, we have. Well, what have you been doing? Well, he said, we followed the Thornycroft up in Tauranga. 
David's brought it across from Tauranga to here, and now we're setting it up here. That's work, isn't it? Oh, yeah, I suppose it is. Because he forgot in those days it took us two and a half hours to get it ready for the road, and two and a half hours to get it to get it ready to, you know, to operate again. So uh, he thought just because we hadn't sown a load, we hadn't been working. <laughs> he got the message. <laughs> Okay. Now, earlier you mentioned um, about your training on the uh, Fletcher at Rotorua. Yeah. W was that an actual school? No, that was the James Aviation thing. They had um, it changed venues uh, over the years. Uh, at one stage, it was in Taupo because it depended on where the training pilot was operating from. Yeah. They had it in Taupo, and then it did, um, yeah, I think it went from Taupo to Rotorua. And actually, at one stage it was in New Plymouth, but it was only because of where the where the training pilot was uh, operating. Uh, when I did it, I, I did mine with Bob Scott, and he did he did uh, a lot of pilots for for James through that period, uh, that 1960s early 70s period. But that was because of, well, he was based in Rotorua, and that's why we did it there. Right, right. Yeah. So you would just sort of go up with him and he'd show you the ropes and. Yep, yeah, well, I had had to do your control, uh, and. He, he put us through all sorts of different uh, things before we actually went out onto a job. And then, then we started off, um, you know, just building up, building up. And then, and then after a certain length of time, he'd send you solo but, and keep a good watch on you. Um, and then, but every, every day he would make sure that, or every job, he would be in there first to make sure that you did it, did it you know, well. And, uh, and then, then carried on from there. And if you did anything wrong, you, you soon heard about it. Did they try and select a certain type of pilot to go top dressing, or did they just take anyone who was mad enough? Well, depending on, I think most of them, uh, and it's something that a lot of us have always maintained too, you should be a loader driver for at least six months, if not longer, to get to know the job before you actually get put into an aeroplane. Right. There were a few that went into them, and, and I don't say all of them, but a lot of them didn't make the grade because they just, uh, well, they didn't really know what the job entailed. And it, made, and it makes it harder. Yeah, yeah, it would, yeah. But it, there is, when, when I trained, there was actually um, Barry Simmons uh, trained, oh God, what's his name? Uh, oh, Jim Frogley. And, oh. and, yeah, they, they, he trained, uh, Barry Simmons trained him because Barry was going to the Solomons. And, uh, and we both trained at the same time. Well, I mean, I've been given up for 12 months and there's Jim still, still flying his own beaver. Oh, yeah. Okay. So did, did you do much in the Beaver at all? No, I didn't do anything. In the, the only one was only the Fletcher and the DC-3 Yeah, were the only two. Okay. And uh, you, you said you preferred the DC-3? To I the did, Fletcher. yes. Yeah. Yeah. But that was, that was only a personal thing. Yeah. 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 And it wasn't because I had a love of the aeroplane, but it was, no, it was just, uh, I found it, well, it was more relaxing. Um, no, no, yeah, I just, 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 well, I, just, I still do love the aeroplane, and every time I hear one coming, I've just got to stop and watch it go past. Yeah. Yeah. Do you miss the flying? I don't, um, and I thought I would, but um, when, back in 2000, and well, I, 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 I had to give up because two reasons. One, one was financial, uh, because of the amount of, amount of work that was going, you know, on in the Walkworth area at the time. And also, I was, was having problems with my medical, so I thought, well, it's about time. But anyway, what actually happened was, um, um, I was trying to save a few bob, doing some work on a loader, putting in, 
we had a clutch had gone, so we were doing it. We were putting the gearbox back in, and the bloody gearbox slipped, and I broke my arm. Oh. And uh, anyway, that was a rider. I had, you know, about two, three months where I couldn't do anything, you know, like flying wise. Yeah. And uh, in that period of time, we, 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 I did a deal with Super Air about buying the aeroplane. So that was all done. And I said, well, I'd like to keep going until my, my license runs out, which was the end of October or beginning of October. And I said, that's fine. So I went back and I did two months after breaking my arm. I went back and I really enjoyed those two months. But I think having that period of, of that break, yeah. it made me realise that flying's not everything. Right. Uh, but if I hadn't have gone back and done that couple of months, uh, two might have made it worse. But when I gave up, I, I was quite happy. Oh, right, okay. mm. So I think it was a blessing in disguise, break my arm, just gave me that, that period to uh, to adjust. Right. Yeah, right. yeah. That's good. But then I did, because of a few things that happened, I did keep involved with Super Air with loaded driving and um, and a bit of uh, organising for a few years up in the Walkworth area. Right. So it kept my, you know, interest going. And, and, with, and the, the big thing that I did miss was the interaction with, I don't say all of them, but some of my clients, right. which I was able to keep doing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I guess um, top dress, top dressing flying uh, in New Zealand. Apart from flying in the Air Force, it must be the most thrilling flying that you can get, really, isn't it? The, the low level stuff and. I would say you would you would be correct in that. Uh, let's face it, you actually have to fly the aeroplane, and if you don't fly the aeroplane, then as, as one pilot said to me one day, you've got to fly the aeroplane. Don't let the aeroplane fly you. Uh, and when, especially when you're close proximity to the ground, you, you haven't got that much time. No. So, but but it is that you're not just sitting there um, watching buddy gauges and, and whatever, making sure everything's going all right. And if you don't do it right, it's going to come up, jump up, and bite you. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. I guess you must have to be a really well. You must be doing several things at once. You're working out where you're going, working out your load. Uh, obviously flying the plane, all that sort of thing. It must be one of those things that your brain is just really working when, you, you, when you're doing it. Yeah, you, you've got to keep your yeah, you, you've got to keep your, your your wits about you, and, and as you say, your brain's got to keep up with it. Because if you start letting something slide, you're going to have problems. Yeah. yeah. Did you find that if you woke up in the morning and you're in a bad mood or something that the, uh, you'd have a bad day flying? Um, Sometimes. Um, the the uh, times when perhaps you should have stayed home because of something that happened with you had an argument with your wife or or something hadn't some other problem that you'd had. Yeah. Uh, yes, you probably should have stayed home. I had an episode one time when uh, it was actually all the people, all the boys in the, in the Walkworth area, we were all together one night and, and I won't say what time we got home. The our wives were with us. But we were quite late, I admit, and we got home and I actually, uh, I won't, I shouldn't admit it, but I actually, I fell over at the end of the bed, that's how bad I was. My wife said, you're not going to work in the morning? I said, yes I am. <laughs> and we did, and my driver, he was with us that night too, and I had to go from Walkworth or Kuiper Flats to Kaikoi. And, and I, anyway, I landed on this pretty strip, and the chap I was working for was a brother of a pilot that used to work for James and Tiger Moths in Hamilton years and years before. And anyway, this chap came up and I saw him come through the gate and I just took one look at him because I had met him before, you know. 
and he just looked as he looked as crook as I felt. Anyway, that was right. It was blowing a gale, so I got the briefing off him, and we went back home. Years later, I met up with him, and I said, "Ray, do you remember that time when I came up to do that job for you?" He said, "Yeah." He said, "That was the day that you looked as crook as I felt." <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, so that was a day when I shouldn't have even attempted to go go anywhere, but uh, yeah. just, but, but you did these things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think uh, on the big picture of uh, agriculture in New Zealand, I don't know if um, the public realises the importance of top dressing and how it's changed uh, agriculture in New Zealand. I don't. I think there are a lot of people that don't realise how much agriculture is is done for for, for them as well. Yeah. For New Zealand, that if it wasn't for agriculture, I do say to people, I said, if it hadn't been for agriculture, you wouldn't be here. Yeah. And uh, but some of them, some of them know what I'm talking about. A lot of them don't. But but I think it's worse than what you're talking about because they don't. People don't realise at all that uh, that uh, fertilisers has, has helped uh, create the agriculture that we've got. Yeah. But also the aerial side of it is is is. is had a big uh, effect on it as well. Absolutely. I mean, it's opened up all those um, hill country farms and and that sort of thing that could never be farmed before. No, no, definitely not. No. And and you know that's led to sheep farming, uh, which is the backbone of the industry, isn't it? Exactly. Exactly. And that's the backbone of the economy. So, I mean, it's it really has been a wonderful thing for New Zealand. I think that really needs to be acknowledged more. I think so, and I think it's going to be acknowledged that. Um, the number of people who um, have perhaps laid down their life for it too, mm. unfortunately. Yeah. Because yeah. Um, I think you'll, you'll have seen that book of Janet Gillins and the, the list, and I mean, that's only back to 1990. And how many have unfortunately have, have gone since then? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think that is one of the intentions of uh, the museum that they're going to create around AZL is uh, a memorial. Yep. to the pilots, which yep. I think is a wonderful thing. It is, it is, yeah. Because there are, there are a lot of them, and if you just look, just look in the James sort of, you know, um, scenario too, with all their, their companies, you know, the, the number really, it, you know, I, I wouldn't like to hazard a guess, unfortunately. No, no. Yeah. that's right. I've, I've lost a lot of, lot of good mates over the years. It was an interesting thing uh, back in 1977, my in-laws came out from the UK for a, for a visit, and my father-in-law was in the insurance business, and he was always dead against me flying yeah. because of the the insurance thing. And I said, no, it's, it's it's quite safe. They were in New Zealand for three three months. I went to two funerals and helped pull another pilot out of a wreck in those three months, wow. and that was all from Walkworth North. Wow. One was a Bar Brothers, it was Mike Taylor at, at Puhoi. The other was Don Jenkins in Wangarei. And then the one we pulled out was Evan McFarlane and Kaitoa. And that was just in three months. So he was looking very sideways at me for a while. Yeah, mm. wow. That's, it's quite shocking when you hear it. It, it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I must admit, I mean, I've, I've spent 31 years, but I didn't do as many hours as a lot of people, and it was all because of the, the area. Yeah. Uh, Derek Williams, who now flies the aeroplane I used to own, he's, he's done but nearly a double. Of what I did. Wow. Uh, but he's and he's still going. Yeah. 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 Wow. Okay. Actually, one thing I was wondering about. Um, 
you, you look at, so the Air Force, there's standout pilots that everybody knows who they are and, and you know, the aces, yep. that sort of thing. In top dressing, are there standout pilots, that, like legend pilots that everybody knows who they were? Or I, th I think in the early days there were probably legend pilots, but it was probably not so much of their actual, um, what they did as far as top dressing was concerned, it was probably the, some of the antics I got up to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, there, there, there are there are a few, but nobody that they're probably not acknowledged, and most of the ones that are like that probably wouldn't really. Well, I don't say they wouldn't like to be acknowledged, but um, they don't go out of the, you know, jump up and down and say, "Well, listen, this is what I've done." Right. right. Uh, they go about and do their job, and just because they do it in a certain way and somebody else does it a different way, yeah. who is to say which is right and which is wrong? But but there are yeah, there are quite a few around that uh, yeah, so that I would class as outstanding. Right, right. Mm. I guess um, having thought about that, uh, the Air Force guys probably wouldn't have personally wanted to jump up and down and say this is what I've done as well. But the newspapers were the ones that made them the legend. Yes, yeah. Uh, and top dressing doesn't get that no. kind of thing, does no. it? With the with the general press. So. Un unfortunately, aviation, as far as the press is concerned, uh, aviation gets. Uh, you know all the um, the news and what have you for the wrong reasons. Exactly. Yeah. And I like accidents. Uh, many many years ago, there was a, and I can't remember where it was. It was somewhere overseas anyway. There'd been a been an aircraft accident. It was 130 killed. New Zealand Herald, whole front page, taken up about it. Yeah. You thumb through the paper and you come to the middle section of the world news, and there was a little piece about one inch. High, yeah. at one column, 130 killed in a train accident in India. Wow! And as somebody said to me, he said, "Who's more dead? Those, they more them." Yeah. But it's just the way that it's it's reported. Yeah. 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 Mm. Actually, that is a it's a fascinating thing just looking at the way the the general press treat aviation. It's, it is. It's so crazy, and it, it comes up so often on the forum. Where it, yep. They get their facts so wrong so often. Exactly. And get away with it. It's, there's yeah. no sort of governing body that pulls them up on it or anything Un like Unfortunately, that. there's not. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> what can you do? <laughs> Carry on. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Just don't yeah. buy the newspapers. <laughs> well, that's that's probably the best way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, did, I did actually have a... Um, you talked about sort of you know, the, the media and whatever you... And that was back with was actually Mike Taylor's um, accident back in January '77 that got to me with the, with the TV, and they were showing them at that stage. I think they were showing him being pulled out of the cockpit, yeah. and that sort of really, really got to me. And I actually I, I got quite upset about that, yeah. saying that that doesn't need to be done. I notice nowadays that it's probably not done like that, but it was just it was one of the first times I'd really seen it, and it. Right. Yeah. yeah, and because of knowing the person concerned, made it worse. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I can understand that. Yeah, that's, that is, yeah, that's a, an important point, really, that you only really do hear about top dressing in the general press when one crashes. Exactly. You never you hear do. about it otherwise. You do. It's kind of weird. It, it's quite interesting. Um, I, I don't get the, the farming magazines from Straight Furrow and, or New Zealand Farming and whatever you... But my son, who is a uh, manager for Carters at, at Mangawai, they they actually get it, all that stuff on email. Yeah. And uh, if there's anything on uh, on aerial top racing, especially, he, he passes it on to me. And actually, there's been some real good articles just lately. Right. About uh, you know different things of 
things about like John Harding and and, and uh, uh, Super Air just buying another Cresco and and uh, Wanganui Era work doing this and somebody else doing that. Yeah. And it's and it's all good positive. Yeah. Things and and that sort of. Uh, news media I, I quite enjoy right right yeah. yeah so you get it in the specialist press just not the general press exactly yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. well it's been fascinating talking with you and uh, I wonder if there's any sort of last um, statement that you wanted to make about your career or about general aviation that sort of thing well as far as just my career is concerned I've um, as we've remarked to several people have said the same thing we were probably in it at the right time uh, there's a lot of things going on today that I wouldn't I would probably if I was coming into it I would actually adapt to it it wouldn't be a problem but I don't think it's not quite the same as yeah. what it, I don't say it was because we had more freedom but it's um, probably less bureaucracy than what we've got today yeah. which um, doesn't really what well, it does and some, some of it helps um, safety but a, a lot of it doesn't that is the way I look at it, anyway. Right. Um, but I just hope that the whole industry still keeps flourishing, because um, well, it's been my life, and uh, I wouldn't like to see it fall over just like that. Exactly. Yeah. But also, I'm so pleased to see things like like the restoration of AZL and and, and different uh, aircraft over the period of time being preserved. Yeah. I think it is good and. Uh, Hopefully that I'll be able to have, perhaps uh, contribute a bit to, to that as well. Excellent, excellent. Well, thank you very much, Dave. It's been fascinating well, having a chat with you, and I've learned a lot. Thank you. Thank you. And I've, and I've learned a lot from the forum, too. Right. I'm, I'm quite enjoying it. Great. <laughs> well, we'll see you on the forum. Yep, very good. Cheers. That was the Wings Over New Zealand Show with Dave Homewood.